0: Now, preaching is reminding very often, reminding of God's truth, of what is required from us, what we can attach our hope and our faith to, and so today I want to remind you of things that you already know of, but I I hope that this word can press these truths deeper into your heart and your soul. And so you can more fully embrace and anticipate the hope that Jesus Christ has given us. So 1 Peter, last week we started the, the book of Peter. He is writing to five churches scattered throughout what is now modern day Turkey. And they are exiles because they have been persecuted, not physically, but social persecution. And we saw last week that this is pretty much what we're going through today, increasingly 1 Peter is increasingly becoming more and more relevant to American Christians. As we face, not physical necessarily, but social and even economic and political persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter is lifting our eyes past, past this, what's going on in front of us. And he's lifting our eyes upwards and forwards to God in the future, so as to encourage us. So let's look at First Peter verses three through seven this week. Read with me if you would. "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ would you pray with me heavenly father thank you for your word I ask that you would speak through me in my weakness right now. Do get me out of the way. Let your word take root right now in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In the passage you just read, Peter is continuing to lift the eyes of his congregations upwards and forwards to their future hope. And he wants the congregations that he's writing to to frame their present trials within the larger scope of ultimate reality and their salvation. So rather than look at this, he's telling them to look upwards and forwards to God in the hope that he gives. And so when we look at this passage, trials, that's such a. It, it, Christians always use the word trials. Uh, but to be more specific, when we have stage four cancer and our bodies are decaying from old age and we have anxiety or depression we wake up in the morning with depression or sadness because of our family situations lost children unbelieving wives There's a lot we could say about that. But today, we need to frame all these things within the larger promises of God and salvation. And that should draw from us praise and rejoicing and endurance for God's glory. So I'm reminding you of foundational truths today. I, don't want to get, I just want to give you three things. Here's the outline of the sermon. Reasons for praise, reasons for joy, and reasons for endurance. Reasons for praise. First and foremost, he says, Blessed be the God and Father. Blessed means praiseworthy is God the Father. Deserving of glory and praise and honor. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this right here, Peter is inviting us to worship. This is an invitation to praise God for who he is. When, here it is, trials rise up in your life there has been some confusion among, Christen, among Christians about how we should react to those trials, and I've seen people talk about raise lament up like if this is the best thing on earth, we should just be lamenting or a theolo- uh, something called the theology of protest or we can actually protest against God because of what he's putting us through and scripture or Peter here invites us to praise in the midst of being exiles and even being tested by fire. He invites us to praise. What reasons does he give? I see three right from the beginning in the first verse. He says, praise God according to his great mercy. That's the first reason to praise. Because the fundamental problem with humans is that we have fallen short of God's glory. Actually, we've lived without reference to God. And, and we were talking about this at Men's Group yesterday. It's not just that our sin means that we're bathed in corruption or that we now have psychological issues and physical problems. The ultimate problem is how we relate to God. And that because of our sin, we are proper objects of his wrath. And yet, and yet, God has met our sin with great mercy. And that's a reason for praise. Second, he causes us to be born again to a living hope. To be born again. Now, you were born once through your parents. But when you believed in Jesus Christ, you were born of God. So you are brought into, not a physical reality, but a spiritual reality that is eternal. And the biblical term for this is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule, God's place, and God's people in it. That's the kingdom of God. And it is eternal, and it is not passing away. And you have been brought in to this eternal reality when you place faith in Jesus Christ. And now we know that the kingdom of God, we enter the kingdom of God by the kingdom of God entering us. Because being born again is not just about entering a kingdom, it's about the Holy Spirit entering us. So what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. So this is the doctrine of regeneration, which we've talked about many times in this church, and I hope all of you understand and know. But when you become a Christian, you don't just believe something actually happens to you. The Holy Spirit enters to you and quickens you and makes you alive. So, you are, you've been generated through your parents, but you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit unto a living hope. And so, as a Christian, you have the life of God residing within you. That's another reason for praise. Third reason for praise is that Christ's resurrection life has given you hope. He has caused us to be born again through a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is through the instrumentality of Christ's resurrection. So isn't this interesting that in this passage here, Peter says that it's Christ's resurrected life that is the means by which God has acted to bring you into new birth and to grant you his mercy. Paul says the same thing pretty much in Romans 5, 10 and 11. About how Christ's resurrection is actually efficacious. Not just his death, but his resurrection actually does something for you as a Christian. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5. For while, if we, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son... Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more than that, we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So it is the life of Christ that resides in you through the Holy Spirit, and that is all given to you in verse, virtue of God's mercy. So, do you see the whole trinity is presupposed in verse 3? Just like it was presupposed in verse 2. You have, the God and, you have God, the Father, you have new birth given to us through Jesus Christ, and you have Christ himself as our living hope. The Father's mercy, new birth through Christ, and the resurrected life of Christ within us. This is something I always want to talk about when I get a chance. It is that we are brought into union with Christ through the Holy Spirit who who resides within us. So when you become a Christian, you do receive the Holy Spirit, and you are regenerated. But what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the life of Christ and mediates that life to you. Is it Romans 8, 9, and 10 says... He says, you, have, you, Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone do, who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you see how the Apostle Paul combines The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and even Christ himself residing in us. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, the Spirit's function is to mediate the life of Christ to you. This is the same Revealing life that the prophets had. Look at verse 11. The prophets were inquiring what time, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was telling them. So the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit mediates the mind and the life of Christ to the believer, and he imparts that life to you. So to, here's an illustration that's always just struck me to the heart. I don't know what, what TV show this was. It was, it was a television show. Um, there was a, a little boy who died of, I think, a terminal disease. Think he was four or five years old. But he was a, a heart donor. And his heart was kept and then given to another little girl, I think it was, who needed a heart transplant. And in this specific show, um this is real life. This is real life, but in this in this specific program the mom of the little boy who died was brought to meet the little girl who now has the heart his heart within him her and they even allowed her to have a stethoscope i think it's called to hear his her little boy's heartbeat again i mean if something will bring will draw tears out of you it is that but That little boy's mom got to hear the heartbeat of her son in another person. I think that is such a perfect and beautiful analogy. Even though Christ is risen and very much alive, he has imparted his life to you. And so when you enter his gates and you see, like we sang, the father who is waiting for you. He will look at you and He will say, I see the heartbeat of my Son within you. I see His life within you, mediated through the Holy Spirit. And what is interesting about your heart beating is that you don't notice. Do you feel your heart beating right now? I don't feel my heart beating. It just does. So you might not feel... The life of Christ dwelling within you always. Just like you don't feel your heart beating always, but your heart is beating. It is pumping blood through your bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. Likewise, the life of Christ is in you, and His vitality is flowing through your spirit, and He is imparting to you eternal life. And the Lord, our Father, hears the heartbeat of His Son dwelling within you and that brothers and sisters is a reason for praise even in the midst of trials reason for joy not only has he done all this not only has he shown us mercy caused us to be born again given us the life of christ indwelling you the heartbeat of his son but also he has given us a possession that will not pass away other unlike the possessions of the world born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. An inheritance is something that is given to you. Imperishable means it's not subject to decay or corruption. Like the leftovers I constantly put away in my refrigerator and want to eat the next day, and they decay. It's undefiled, that is, unstained or tainted. It is unfading because it never loses its vitality and vibrancy. So that, that shows us why the inheritance that God gives us is superior. Because it does not pass away. It does not fade. It does not lose its beauty. It does not lose its vibrancy. The superiority of our future inheritance is what this present world does not offer and you can feel that on a daily basis I trust now the world does offer you possessions and inheritance but these things will pass away there is a famous um, novel novelist who was an atheist who ended up committing suicide, I believe, named David Foster Wallace. And he was invited to speak at a college um, in commencement, I forget the name of the college right now. But he, has, he said something that has kind of gone down in history, it was about 10, 15 years ago, as he addresses a secular graduate class. And and here's, here's a man who feels the weight of what we understand to be idols, and the futility of idols. He said, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths. If you worship power, you will always feel weak and afraid. And you will never need more power, and you will ever need more power over others to keep the fear at bay. If you worship your intellect and being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. So the world does hold out promises. It holds out the promise of beauty, of intelligence, of sexual allure, of stuff. And all of those things do have a promise, the problem with it, is it will pass away and it will take life from you instead of give life to you. So, our eternal inheritance, though, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfiguring, kept in heaven for you. And you're being guarded by God's power. The Psalms say that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. And they are safe. So you're being guarded through faith. And it's for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That's a reason for joy. Not So not only do we have reasons for praise in the middle of trials and being exiles in a world that is completely hostile towards you and opposing what is true, but you have reasons for joy. Because you have an inheritance that does not pass away or lose its vibrancy. The only difference between treasures that God gives and treasures that the world gives is that the treasures that God gives are in the future. And they last forever, but the treasures that the world gives are available now, but they will pass away. Lastly, reason for perseverance. Notice what Paul or Peter says in verse six. How he starts in verse six. He says, "In this, you rejoice. It is in that salvation that God has wrought to you. It is in that future inheritance. It is in that possession that will not pass away." It is in that salvation, in the future, ready to be revealed at the last time.
1: In this,
0: you rejoice, not in, not necessarily in your your work. This present life, your hobbies. Although God has given us precious gifts on earth, the ultimate things, though, are the future things and are the higher things. And Peter says, it's in this. That you rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and good praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ Now Peter talks here about being tested by fire and this is a need for endurance I want to say is it not easy to follow God when his blessings and life are evident Isn't that easy when there, are, when there are answers to prayer, and you just see those answers to prayer, and that's, it's just so evident that God has said yes to you. When you have good health, when you have a sense of God's presence, you just feel like you're walking with the Lord. I mean, isn't it it's easy to obey God in the light? Right? You have a sense of God's love, you know He you know that you're His child, when you're surrounded with peace, things are going well, and you see you see reward for your obedience. I mean, that is easy, and that is a blessing, but it is much easier than following following God in darkness or through fire. It's what what about the times when when your faith is tested by fire? When it has to pass through the fire? When you can't see reward for obedience? When you don't have a felt sense of God's presence? When you don't have comfort or consolation? When you don't have peace or health? When you have no sense of God's witness, and you are still told to obey. What happens when our faith is tested by fire? What comes out of me when my faith is tested by fire? What does it result in, as Peter said? Know that this is not the fire of judgment. This is the fire of testing the genuineness of your faith. Peter says the word in the Greek that testing means to examine it means to evaluate or to prove something now gold is tested by fire in the sense that gold that might look dirty and kind of not vibrant is passed through fire fire is heated up so that the, um, what's the what's the word not dirty stuff impurities I knew Mark would know that the impurities rise to the top and they're separated from the gold impurities so there is a cleansing function to the fire but there's also a and I think this is the angle Peter aims at here, there's a testing. To see what exactly is this that is passing through fire? Is it just impurity or is there gold in your faith? So, faith will be tested by fire sometimes. Sometimes you won't have that sense of God's presence. Sometimes you won't just have to follow God in the light, sometimes you will follow Him in the dark and you will be called to follow him through fire. And as I read the Bible, I see that we, Church of the Vine, going through various trials, are part of a long line of people of God who have been tested by fire. I see Abraham, without any explanation at all, said, go take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him for me. And Abraham went. He took his son. He ascended the mountain, and he took the knife. And just as he was about to plunge the knife into his son, which is an action I can't even fathom, the Lord said, stop. And he said, now I know that you fear me. Now I know you fear me. Now, the Lord knew all along, he is omniscient, but there is a knowledge more, the text there is not talking about cognitive knowledge. It's talking about a felt knowledge. Like, mothers know that we love them, but on Mother's Day, they want to be shown that we love them, right? So there's a, there's a different order of knowledge that's being given to mothers on Mother's Day. And we give them presents and, we, and whatever else they like. <laughs> Someone tell me, because it's coming. I've got to find out. <laughs> yeah. So now I know. So Abraham was tested by fire. The Lord also, Deuteronomy 8.2, tells us, the Lord tested Israel to know what was in their heart. You know why God left nations undefeated in the promised land? Judges 2, he left them undefeated to test them to see if they would be faithful. And what did it result in? For Israel, it often resulted in disobedience and floppiness and just their, you know. Then we have that peculiar story, which I'm actually reading in my daily devotions, of Job. And God says of Job, Have you seen my servant, how faithful and upright he is? And Satan says, stretch out your hand and take all that he has and stretch out your hand and touch his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Now what kind of faith did Job have? Was it impure or was it gold? When it was tested by fire, what comes out? And perhaps some of you will be tested, maybe I will be tested by a very similar kinds of fire. And what will come out? Will we curse God and die, like Job's wife said? Or will it result, like Peter says, in praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ? Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You walk in darkness and you have no light. Perhaps the Lord has put you there to test the genuineness of your faith. Have you seen my servant? How faithful and upright he is. There will be seasons. I've noticed this myself. There are seasons where the Lord lavishes you with a felt sense of his presence. And then there are seasons where the Lord takes away consolation and says, follow me still when he takes away light and puts you in the dark and says, follow me. When Christ was tested in the garden, or in the wilderness, obedience came out. When Christ was tested in the garden, he said, not well, my will, but your will be done. So, the tested genuineness of your faith is what trials do so reckon I would implore you and I think this is where scripture points us to and I implore myself in the middle middle of that is to reckon these trials in your life not just as trials but as tests through fire and still obey, and still follow, and still worship, and rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is in Screwtape Letters. And um, Screwtape Letters is... a a book that he wrote, but it has to do with a chief demon giving advice to his underling protege demon who is trying to bring this particular soul to hell. And the chief demon says to his underling the following, he gives the following advice. He says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood." Ormwood our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys that is when the enemy's camp is in great danger. When you look around, just like Christ, upon a world in which every trace of God seems to have vanished, and you ask why you have been forsaken, and you still obey, now that is very dangerous. That is a very dangerous kind of faith. Not pampered. It's not a pampered faith but it's a faith that's been tested by fire. And our Lord Jesus Christ is our pioneer who not only came down, but died. Not only defeated Satan, but submitted to God's will in the garden. Not only wondered why he was forsaken on the cross, even though he could have called down 12 legions of angels, but in the midst of it, still obeyed. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So, as disciples of Christ, we follow that path of faith tested by.